0: So, this week I was reclaiming my office. I don't know if your house or if your area, your garage, whatever, occasionally you just need to reclaim it and get things organized. Well, as I was doing that uh, this week, I found, I ran across a book on my bookshelf, and it was by Max Licato. And it said, uh, the title was something like, No wonder they called him a savior. And in that book, at the beginning of that book, he tells a little story about how there was a young man that had studied for um, thinking he was going into ministry. And so he had studied the Bible. He had studied theology. He um, had pursued learning. And yet he was struggling. And so he asked Max if they could have um, a coffee together. And so as they met for coffee, um, he said, Can you just tell me, what is it that really matters? Like, could you just boil this down to the essence? And Max Lucado, as a minister, as an author, 20-some years ago, he said he thought about, well, should I quote Psalm 23 and talk about the Lord as a shepherd? Should I talk about God as creator? Should I talk about the end? Um, You know, what should I grab? And he said it was awkward. They both sat there and sipped their... Beverages, and there was just an awkwardness. And he said, Over 15 or 20 years of reflecting about what would I say that really matters? What is the main thing? And he came down to this um, point of um, the cross. He came down to the point of saying, I think that everything hinges, all of history hinges on the cross. And so, if I was going to say that there's one thing that matters, It's this story of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And so um, that is what matters. And that is the part of the story that we're getting ready to enter into. We've been through the Gospel of Luke. We're getting towards the end there. Um, And now we're getting ready to enter into this time where we look for the next couple of weeks very slowly and carefully at what Jesus did for us in his death on the cross, and so we're moving towards that this morning, looking um, at Luke 22, and I'm wondering if we could get my um, slides up there, Were we having some technical difficulties, are they? Okay, all right. For whatever reason... It might be coming soon. Yeah? Good. All right. So we're going to just do a review of what we talked about in the last few weeks, which actually, over the last several weeks, was one week in the life of Christ. And so, maybe just as I decide that's not going to work. Maybe it is. All right, we're going to um, review a little bit about what we have talked about in the last few weeks. And if they if you get that going, you can let me know. But the last few weeks, next slide, the last few weeks we have talked about Jesus coming in, right? His triumphal entry. He got a hero's welcome as he came in to Jerusalem. You remember that? The palm branches were waving, hero's welcome. Then he went into the um, temple and he overturned the tables and he exerted kingdom authority in um, that place, which caused the leaders immediately to want to kill him. And um, that was where things got extremely tense. Then um, Jesus tells that there's going to be this betrayal. He goes out to the garden to pray. He asks the others to pray, and, um, and he prays fervently, and he asks his disciples to pray so that they wouldn't fall into temptation. They didn't pray, and we heard the sermon last week about how Peter denied Jesus, and yet Jesus had prayed for Peter that when he was restored, that he would strengthen the faith of many. Jesus had prayed. And so it's this Jesus who walks in the fullness of grace this morning that steps onto this stage that where we're going to um, hear about this good news of how he enters in full of grace, full of power, into a most horrible suffering. And so on this stage this morning... Okay. On the stage this morning, before I read the text, and I am going to read the text, we're going to um, hear about the council. Who is the council? That's the group of Jewish leaders, about 70 Jewish religious leaders. We're going to also hear in the text, Pilate, who is Pilate. He's a Roman ruler. We're going to hear about Herod. He's the Jewish political leader of Galilee. And we're going to hear about the crowd, this crowd that's shouting out, and it's going to be primarily Jews, but they had all come for Passover, so from, they're from all different areas. They would be people who had witnessed Jesus' incredible miracles. And so these are the people who um, we're going to read about this morning, starting with Luke 22, starting with verse 63, and we're going to cover a fairly significant um, chunk of scripture. So we're going to go Luke 22 into um, the first part of 23. And so, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people both the chief priests and the teachers of the law met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to... We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. Then he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction. He sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Remember, he was there for the Passover. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priest and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. Just want to tell you, in the Roman rule, there were three types of punishment, three types of whippings. Um, this, he was saying, I'm going to give him a light punishment, just kind of to give him a reverence of authority, and I'm going to let him go. That was what he was intending there. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. Again, intending a light punishment. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. This is our text for this morning. This is a look, a very intense look. Sometimes it's going to be just a little bit graphic. Graphic and I'm not going to sugarcoat it or make it look nice because we need to see what Jesus went through for us. This was Thursday night, all night beating, all night um, tell us, prophesy, prophesy, mocking him, brutal, brutal officers mocking him all night long. And then the next morning, all these trials right in a row, interrogation and trial, one right after the other. There was a convergence of evil. There was an absolute convergence of evil. There was instability among the nation. There was Roman rule, and the Jews were living under that, and they wanted their own rule. And so there was instability in the nations. There was fear among the Jewish leadership. There was rage. There was a desire to kill. There was a um, lack of strong leadership. And so there was a passivity. There was um, an undercurrent of people that were feeling insecure. And so they were going back and forth. There was all kinds of evil that was starting to come towards Jesus. And the Lord was allowing this so that Jesus would encounter all of this evil for a purpose. I want to talk to you about the responses Jesus, Because there were different responses based on the people. And so um, some of the responses were the council. The council just had incredibly hard hearts towards Jesus. They were strongly rebellious. They were skeptical. That's what they wanted. That was their heart posture towards the Lord. Another heart posture was that of Pilate, who was semi-indifferent. He felt like that the Jewish leaders, they had a lot of factions and infighting. And so he was really not wanting to get involved, but he did ask some questions. But overall, he just had weak leadership and was very passive. That was his heart posture. That was his response to Jesus. Then there was Herod sending Jesus over to Herod. Just by the way, Herod had killed his cousin, John the Baptist. So talk about intimidation when he goes before this person. Who just wants to see a sign? He's just looking for a miracle, kind of like a circus. Like, let's just see something interesting today. I'm at work, let's just see a sincere interest in faith. When he didn't respond to Herod in the way that Herod wanted, well, then Herod joins in in the mocking and the ridicule. Herod's posture was um, one of idle curiosity. We have the people, the crowd. The ones who he, J- Jesus had healed. He had healed them of leprosy. He had healed their blindness. He had fed them food when they were hungry out of little fo- little fish and loaves. He had done all this for these people, but they were yet, they were fickle. They were insecure, and so when it came to where it seemed as if Pilate and their Jewish leaders were not in agreement, then suddenly nationalism, like well, we're Jews, and so, okay, then there'll be solidarity around our nationalism. And suddenly they do not stay loyal and faithful to Jesus, who they had just ushered in a few days before in a hero's welcome. And the guards, brutal, brutal, evil, mocking, beating, teasing, These were the responses to Jesus that we see in this passage. The accusation, what did they really get upset about? Well, what really upset the Pharisees was that Jesus said this, but from now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Why did that upset them so much? That upset them because he was saying, I'm going to be able to go and be at the right hand of God. Well, if you remember, God's presence was in the temple as they saw it back then. that was where God was in the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest once a year was able to enter into that because it was such a sacred and holy place. And so when they heard Jesus say that he could enter into the um, presence of God, who was he? And how could he, without all the proper um, steps of preparation and consecration, step into that? And so they immediately said, blasphemy. He, he is speaking blasphemy. He is um, scorning the sacred. That's what their charge was against him. That's what made them so upset. Now let's talk about the injustice that Jesus experienced. What did Jesus experience? He experienced being mocked and kept awake all night long before his interrogation, teased, harassed, prophesy. Well, you're a prophet, so prophesy to us. Who hit you? Who hit you? Kind of like duck, duck, goose or something. There were these games where they would be blindfolded and do these things, but there was a viciousness about this. There was a harassment about the way he was functioning. It was evil. And then he goes before this interrogation, And he says he responds in truth about his identity, and he speaks the truth in love, but he doesn't jump in and give them more than what they're asking for because it would just stir up a fight. He's respectful, and what happens? They say, all right, this is enough. You see, they didn't have the authority to um, say we need to kill him and put him to death. In order to have the death penalty, they had to go to the Romans. The Romans were the only ones that had the authority to get, pronounce a death sentence. And so on their way to the Romans, they're thinking, we can't really talk to them about our um, religious, you know, that he's calling himself the Messiah. We can't, we can't talk about that because that's not going to be a Roman issue. They're not going to care about that. And so they changed the charges from their interrogation on the way. And so by the time they get to Pilate, what's happening they um, charge him with um, disturbing the peace, with um, telling people not to pay taxes, which we know Jesus did not do. Remember a few weeks back, that did not happen. Jesus did not say, he said, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? And so they made an absolute false charge. And then the third one they did is they politicized it and said, he's calling himself a king. Well, that would be a charge that Pilate would pick up on and say, okay, maybe if he's, he's going to uh, come against the Roman Empire, well, then we maybe better pay attention to this one. But they changed the charges. What else happened? The whole time that he's being um, prosecuted, he's being intimidated, right? So there's these trials, and he's, there's this constant intimidation going on. And this presence of these, this whole council of 70 people that are against him, And then he's sent from one, when Pilate can't find anything wrong, he's sent over to Herod. Well, what's Herod, he's an expert, a religious expert that is being consulted. Has he done anything wrong? And then he's ridiculed and mocked. He doesn't do anything wrong. And Herod knows that, you know, this really is not going to stand. He doesn't see anything for the death penalty. But what does he do? He puts a robe around him, a royal robe. It's like, oh, yeah, here's your king for you. Totally dehumanizing, humiliating, and then goes back. Then there's these judgments. There's pronouncements of innocence and a, some mild correction. And yet Pilate doesn't stick with it. He, It's like the pronouncement, you know, how in a, a court and then, you know, the gavel will come down and that's it. What does he do letting all these people keep bringing charges? You know, he does not keep order in the court, so to speak. That's not just, that's not right. And then the injustice that what he had intended as a mild, the Jews, the way they punished was up to 40 lashes with a rod or a a switch of some sort. What the Romans did had three different levels of beatings. And what Jesus got was what they called the scorpion. It was the beating that was to precede a crucifixion. It was a beating, a wooden handle with leather strips. At the end of all those leather strips were pieces of metal and hooks and pieces of bone that would cut into the flesh. And so when you would get whipped with this, They said it would be like shreds of bloody flesh would just come falling off the back and off the sides. It was very common for intestines to be out, for it to be cut right down to the bone. Why did they do this? To weaken the person before they crucify him. Crucifixion, and you're going to hear more about the cross later, but I'm just talking to you and telling you that it was so horrible that Roman citizens weren't even subjected to it. This was for horrible, horrible crimes. This is the injustice. That an innocent man that was declared innocent three times by the ruler, this is what Jesus was subjected to. And then to be traded in for somebody that had murdered Barabbas is released and Jesus is sent to the death row. And it isn't going to be a death row that has some time for appeal. It's in the next hour, in the next couple of hours. This is the injustice that Jesus faced. I want to tell you the good news. I want to tell you that there is a God who is sovereign over all and that he allowed this for his kingdom purposes. Charles Spurgeon said this Providence says whatever God ordains must be, but the wisdom of God never ordains anything without a purpose. Everything in this world is working for some great end. Everything. And so God allowed Jesus to face this incredible injustice for a kingdom purpose. Well, what were those purposes? We look back at Isaiah. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. And so I want to read to you from Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 7. Surely he took up our path and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He, Jesus, this is who is being prophesied about. Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Jesus took all that sin our sin and the sins against us, on himself in this moment in history. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. This is what the prophets had said, and this is what Jesus is doing right in our text today. Because he had prayed, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, he had asked for God's grace, and it came as he prayed. He goes in full of power and grace to witness to the kingdom of God as he answers and dialogues. He goes in. Think about it. If you were being treated so unjustly, would you be standing there quietly and full of self-control? Think about it. If you had been up all night being harassed and tortured and um, mocked and made fun of, would you have the wherewithal and the wisdom? Wisdom says when you're being falsely accused, you don't have the burden of proof. He was able to remain silent unless by kingdom choice he felt like there was an answer that might be full of grace that could point them to the Lord. Our Jesus was filled with power and grace for this moment. He suffered, and we're going to hear about this in future weeks, in ways that made people look on and go, there is something different about this man. It was for witness that he would act out this time of laying down his life and remember Jesus at any moment could have called angels to come rescue, but he chose, he chose to lay down his life. When he was being whipped and tortured like this, they would strap him to a post, and then this scorpion thing would come out. He chose to stay bound to that piece of wood. He chose to lay down his life. He chose to suffer because it was fulfilling the prophecies, because only somebody that was sinless could be the one to offer the payment for sin. And so Jesus comes full of grace and full of power for witness. Jesus said to the um, council, when the council says, if you are the Messiah, tell us. And in the original language, it's called a first, first conditional clause. And so what it means is, if for the sake of argument, let's just say, might be, might not be, probably isn't, but just for the sake of argument, if you're the Messiah, then tell us. Jesus doesn't answer them back in that same kind of way. He answers in what's called a third class conditional clause, which says, he said, if I ask you, you would not answer. Well, remember, it was the rabbis that would sit and ask questions, and their disciples would answer. And he's saying, someday in the future, it's a future hope. That's what this conditional clause means. Someday in the future, I hope that you're my disciple, and you may or may not have the right answer at that time. He's extending grace, even in that way he speaks. He's pointing them to faith, and he's saying, consider Consider your view of the Messiah. He's calling them back to scriptures. He's calling them to faith. Even in his responses, we don't necessarily pick it up when we read through it. But when we hear that, then we understand. He's standing there. Even in his responses, they're not, Jaleesa has the word snarky. They're not snarky. When I read through this initially, even we want to project our own feelings, like he wants to say, you know, well, that's what you say I am. You know, you kind of want to give it a little attitude. Jesus stood there full of humility, full of love, and he keeps pointing them to the way. What the Lord allowed in this persecution and suffering in Jesus God, anything that he allowed, it was for redemptive purposes to save us from our sins and also to bring glory to God. And so here they are charging him with blasphemy. And actually what happens is that they're the ones that are defaming the sacred. Here's Jesus, holy Jesus right there. And the charge they're making against him, they're actually acting out themselves the charge that they're making against him, that he's bringing uproar to the nation, they're getting louder and louder. Crucify him! Crucify him! This is disturbing the peace. This is what they're doing. Actually, the accusations, even in that, the louder it gets, the more it brings glory to God because it shows that here is this man who's being silent and has done nothing wrong and has done actually everything right. He's been the most loving, gracious person that's ever walked the earth. And here they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. The louder they shout. I want to tell you the story about a woman whose first name is Irina. And I read about this in Chuck Chuck Colson's book, uh, The Body of Christ. And in that story, he talks about this woman who... um, was born in the Soviet Union. She's about 10 years older than me. And she was born at a time where they sent the um, kids to school and they had atheism training every day in school. God is not real. God is not real. God is not real. This woman is intelligent. She went on to get her master's degree in physics. And as they got louder and louder and more and more persistent, she thought to herself, you know what? They tell us that ghosts are not real, and they tell us one or two times, and they stop. They keep on pushing this, God is not real, God is not real, he must exist. And the Holy Spirit revealed the truth of God's existence to her, and she thought, I will start to talk to this God, I will start to pray to him. She didn't have anybody to disciple her. But she started to talk and pray, and the Lord started to answer her prayers, and so she started to write poetry. She wrote poetry about love. She wrote poetry about Christian faith. She did all this, and then she got a Bible. And then when she got the Bible and read it, she was like, yes, this is the God I know. This is the one that I know, and this is true. And so she read her Bible, and she wrote poetry about love and about faith. And the KGB watched her and um, they took her to court and they said, you're disturbing the peace and causing instability in the Soviet Union. And they sentenced her to seven years of hard labor in a labor camp to be followed by five years in exile. She had made a determination when she felt that the Lord was real and that God existed that she wanted to live a life of honor. And so she prayed and prayed, and as she was in this labor camp being tortured and beaten and worked to death and almost frozen to death and almost starved to death, she was writing poetry in her mind as she was being interrogated, just like Jesus was being interrogated, and it was for the joy that sat before him. He endured the scorn of the um, cross, right? The shame and the scorn. He had put his mind on things that were good and holy and lovely, and she did too. She composed 250 poems while she was in labor camp. She would write them, etch them into a piece of soap and put them to memory and then wash it away so there was no evidence. She inspired so many people by her faith because they watched on and they thought, this person is suffering in a way that nobody else, it doesn't look like anybody else because that's what happens when Christ is in us. And so the louder they got, what happened? It makes people stop and think. Maybe, what is this God that is trying to be shut out? And we live in a culture and we live in a world that's trying to shut down the truth of Jesus Christ. And the louder they get, we pray that the Holy Spirit will bring revelation of what's true. And that even our lives, even if we are allowed to suffer in some way, that we would live in such a way that peace and joy and love would earmark us and the, the culture around us would say, there must be a God, and they would turn to him. Jesus stands in solidarity with everybody that's suffered. That was one of the reasons that Max Lucado thought we need to look at the cross. If there's one part to um, see, it's the suffering of Jesus because Jesus has suffered. He has taken on this suffering for us. And so as I look across this room, I could start naming stories of how you've encountered suffering. You know, that's part of why there's so much unrest in our country right now is because there are people who have been suffering and have been oppressed in different ways, and they're feeling like they're going it alone, and they don't have any um, support, and people are trying to say, well, I'm a loving person. I support you. I support you. Well, you know what? Jesus. Jesus is the one who steps into our suffering, and so no matter whether you've gone through the rejection of a parent, whether you've gone through the beatings or the abuse, no matter if you've um, had terrible, terrible grief in your life, and you think, but I'm alone in this, you are not alone. Jesus stepped in as a suffering servant so that not that we would deny the pain that we've been through, but that he could walk us through it and show us that there is life After suffering, even as this woman, Irina, was able to be delivered out of that prison camp, negotiated because there were lots and lots of prayers going on, she was able to be delivered from it. Did she have to suffer? Yes, she suffered. But did she do it for God's glory and in a way that brought glory to Jesus? Yes. And so each one of your stories can be turned around in such a way. Jesus is present even now. And he wants to minister so that you know that whatever you've gone through, or maybe whatever you're going through, he's present, he's here, he came into this earth to take on not only the punishment for our sins, but the sins that came against us. He understands, he gets it. This story talks about this exchange and maybe this is maybe one of the more difficult things in this story is how can it be that somebody that was um, on the death row gets to go free and Jesus goes in and yet even in this God gets the glory because it's the perfect word picture it's the perfect image of each one of us because the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life and so each one of us is a Barabbas if we're going to associate ourselves and see ourselves in this Bible story? Let's see ourselves as Barabbas. We all are on death row. If we don't know Jesus, we're all on death row because each one of us has made at least one sin in our life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. I'm used to a church that would talk back a little bit. All right? So each one of us is in this prison cell, and yet Jesus takes our place, And we are allowed to go free. But guess what? Barabbas had to walk out of that prison cell. And do you think that he um, dilly-dallied? I think he went jumping and leaping and praising God. I think that's what happened. I think that when um, we are given that opportunity, are we going to stay in this cell that keeps us locked up and like keep lamenting over our sins and not receiving the forgiveness of God? Or are we going to say, We get out of jail free because Jesus just went to the cross for me? And so today, the Lord is present. And He speaks to us through His Word. And He says, This, how are you going to respond to me? Jesus would say, How are you going to respond to me? Are you going to be like the cynics? Are you going to be skeptical? Are you going to be critical like the Jewish council? Are you maybe going to be passive like Pilate and say, well, maybe yes, but oh, well, if popular opinion says that, then I guess I'll go with that. How are you going to respond to Jesus? Are you going to just be one that just seeks the curiosity of like, well, I hope he'll give me a miracle and give me what I'm asking for, but then really not want to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and the Messiah? Are you going to be like one who says, I know I'm lost. I know my life is heading towards death. But I'm going to receive Jesus' gift of eternal life today. How are you going to respond to Jesus? Are you going to say, Jesus, you suffered but I don't really see the way of how that relates to my life. Or are you going to say, my suffering, is it's been horrible, but it's not what you went through. Thank you for coming to experience and be my sympathetic high priest. And I'm going to walk with you and trust that you're going to lead me through into healing because he came, right, to heal. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of all. He made it so that we would have life and have it to the full. What will our response to Jesus be today? This is the question he has for each of you. It's not just an interesting thought. Today he's saying, what do you believe about me? And will you place your faith in me? And will you keep walking with me? Are you going to be like the crowd that's fickle? Jesus is saying, follow me.